Amen. Chapters 13 through 17 of John, the upper room ministry of Jesus to his disciples. It's the night that he is going to be betrayed. It's the day before he's going to die, a couple days before Easter Sunday, the resurrection, you know, some 43 days um, before uh, the ascension. I mean, uh, we're right at kind of this really dramatic moment of Jesus's ministry. And as Jesus has been sharing with the disciples there in the upper room, a bit of his plan that one of them is going to betray him. He's calling them to serve one another as he's washed their feet. So they ought to serve one another. He's just like flipping their world up a little bit. Um, This is all so different. He's telling them that in just a little while, I'm going to leave you and you're going to see me no more. And he said that probably three times so far in this upper room ministry by the time we've got to chapter 16. And it's shaking them up. They are going from confusion to consternation. Uh, They are a bit agitated. They're asking some questions that don't make a lot of sense. And I've even found as I've been reading through it to study that I too am like seeing through a little bit of a, a fog as I am putting myself in their perspective to see how difficult it must have been to hear these things from Jesus, that he is going away. And in a little while, they'll see him no more because he goes to the father. But in this section today, verses 16 through 33, He's going to bring some comfort and some hope and some joy to those disciples. You know, the comfort that the world brings is kind of a major pain type of comfort. You know, I don't know if you've seen major pain, but you know, major pain is out on the battlefield and one of his soldiers gets wounded and he's lying there opened up on the battlefield screaming for help. And major pain comes running up and he gets down and he says, hurts, doesn't it? And the guy's like, yeah, it hurts. He's like, you want me to give you something to take your mind off the pain? You know? And he goes, yeah, give me something. He's like, let me see your finger. And he breaks the guy's finger. Ah, you know, it's like, what? Took your mind off of that pain. But, you know, that's kind of how the world likes to comfort us. You know, like it hurts, doesn't it? Hey, let me just transfer the pain to another thing that's going to be more painful, maybe even increase the pain. You know, that's how the world is. But Jesus is going to bring comfort and peace that's not like the world brings. We're going to see it in this text today. It's, it's part of his plan and it's in his ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are high above. And uh, one title that I read in a commentary for this section is the prospect of joy beyond trouble in this world. We have this prospect of joy that goes beyond, I think of what Alistair Begg called 2020. In 2021, you know, he wrote a newsletter out for all his Truth For Life subscribers, and he called the beginning of COVID and all of the, you know, riots and everything, he called them especially awful times. And I just feel like, man, that's just rung true. It's like, man, especially awful times. But the work of the Spirit and the work of the Gospel brings especially awesome times into places of great joy, of great opportunity of great hope. The Lord has done so much in our church that's advanced his kingdom, advanced his gospel, brought opportunities for mission. And as one commentator put it, that Jesus brings liberating and lasting joy in Jesus as we live out and share the gospel. That was kind of his title or or subheading for this section, liberating 
and lasting joy in Jesus as we live and share the gospel. So let's look at it today. Look in verse 16. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. So we have this transitional verse here uh, where Jesus is referring to his departure He has done that multiple times in his ministry and not a few times in this upper room discourse. And he says, a little while you won't see me and again a little while and you will see me. And if that doesn't confuse you, I don't know what will. Like you're a better scholar than me. A little while, then I will see you, then I won't see you. Oh my goodness, I need a painkiller right now. Um, That's essentially how the disciples felt. The disciples did not have a category to allow them to make sense of a Messiah. By the way, Messiah means savior, champion, hero, who would come and die for them, rise from the dead, and then leave them. They're like, file this under so confused, right? They didn't know how to, how to process this. And so Jesus is going to help them along like the good counselor that he is. Then some of his disciples, verse 17, said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We don't know what he's saying. (laughs) We don't understand. In particular, just like me and maybe you, they're perplexed by his double use of a little while. A little while and you won't see me, and then a little while and you will see me, and in a little while. And so verse 19, Jesus, and maybe not supernaturally, any good teacher would be able to know why his sayings are confusing his pupils. And Jesus here knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? This is what you got to love about the Bible sometimes, like just repeat things to make sure that they know that we're all on the same page here. Are you confused about what I said or inquiring about uh, what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? In verse 20, he begins to explain and in that he's going to show that there is joy in the midst of times of sorrow. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 20, that you will weep and will lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus knows what the next 12 hours hold for him and for the disciples. The great drama of the betrayal of Jesus by his close friend that he broke bread with, that he shared fellowship with. Uh, The abandonment of the other 11 disciples. Uh, The mock trials and the false witnesses and, and, and then eventually his scourging, his beatings, his march to Golgotha, to Mount Calvary, his crucifixion, um, his mockings, all of these things. Jesus knows. He knows what the disciples are in for. It's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long 24 hours. And there will be times where they will be weeping and lamenting and mourning. And, And you know, that's true for us as well. Um, you know, kind of ripping my heart open in front of you this morning. That wasn't my intention, but 
you know, it's, it's funny. We live such busy lives and we go from thing to thing to thing. And uh, when I heard that my aunt had passed away, I literally went from like five seconds of getting to weep to a phone call to a meeting to, you know, and I just, I didn't have a chance to really weep and process. And then you're just on like, well, we got to get this done and this done. And then you're just here before the throne of the Lord and just thinking about the hope of the gospel as we're singing, you know, and, and, uh, and just, just able to just grieve, you know, and grieve before the Lord. And, and we sorrow. And I remember texting my family when we heard that my aunt passed away. And, and I just quoted First Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says that we sorrow, but not as those who do not have hope. And that was a verse from when I was 19 years old. And I just got back from Hungary and Israel. I went on a mission slash touring trip. 19 years old, you feel like you're on top of the world, you're traveling the world by yourself and with your buddies and, you know, witnessing and missions and traveling by train through Hungary and, you know, going to where Jesus walked and talked and lived and you're kind of like, I'm an adult, you know, and you're just like, everything's great. And, and, uh, and I came home and within a month, my dad had had a stroke and I had to quit school and I had to tend to my dad and his paralysis and all of those things that you could only imagine would be very difficult. And, uh, oh, it's okay, sweetie. Love you, Moors. It's okay. Yeah, see you, Kirby. Love you, Hillary. And, uh, and so one thing about my Israel trip was that we had been in Jerusalem at the Temple Institute where there's a group of people that are literally, they have everything planned to rebuild the temple for the Messiah to come into Israel. And I had sat there in the Temple Institute realizing that the coming of Jesus is so much more soon than we could ever imagine. And uh, there's a lot there. You might be like, what's he even talking about? Okay, that's, go listen to the Revelation study that we did last year, okay? But for me, it was, Jesus is coming soon. And though my dad uh, had been paralyzed and had passed away and had left us fatherless, you know, and I remember my 15-year-old sister getting ready for school and reading the obituary of my dad on her first day of school, you know, and, and I just remember grieving and being sad, but knowing Jesus is coming back. And not only is Jesus coming back, Jesus is coming back soon. And what this does, and in the context of first Thessalonians chapter four, is it tells us, oh, we sorrow about all kinds of things, you know, but we sorrow as those who have hope. We have a future, we have a hope. And so Jesus is kind of laying that same thing that Paul will eventually lay in that a little while, right? You're going to be grieving. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to weep and you're going to lament. And that's exactly what happened when you read the gospel accounts after Jesus was dead and buried and they prepared his body and they, you know, were weeping for a couple of days and the women had prepared all these spices and they were going back to be in the tomb and to mourn and to grieve completely oblivious to all that Jesus had said about his resurrection going to take place. They were weeping and they were lamenting and that is something that the disciples went through. But the world will rejoice. Now, similar with the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, how uh, the world was rejoicing that they would be put to death in Revelation. The world was rejoicing that Jesus had been put to death. But the world will also eventually rejoice because Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And he's going to bring hope and life to all who would put hope in that resurrection. He's just the first fruits of all of us who will rise from the dead as well. He opened up that way for us. 
And he says at the end of verse 20, and you will be sorrowful. You will weep. You will cry. You will mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But your mourning will turn into joy. Joy inexpressible, unspeakable joy. Joy that, as the author of Philippians, Paul said in chains, it's not based upon our circumstances. That's happiness, right? Happiness is based upon our circumstances. Happiness is based upon what we've got coming in and what we've got going out and what our friends are doing for us and what all of those things. Things are going our way. I'm so happy. Clap your hand. Okay. Like, oh, I'm so happy. What about when you're not happy? What, what, what about when that song annoys you? Because you've heard it so many times, right? Like, I'm not happy, but I'm joyful. Clap your hands if you feel like you're joyful. Okay. We're going to rewrite that as a worship song. Yeah. We're going to be like those who are on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection, who spent time with the risen Jesus and would say, didn't our heart burn within us when he spoke to us on that road? And Jesus kind of goes on in a picture, an illustration of how this sorrow but turns into joy works. In verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. You know, sad and grievous, the the dark spot of scripture where we see the sinful condition and the fallen focus of humanity. Because of our sin, a curse was brought that actually deals with sin. And in Genesis 3.16 to the woman, the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. There will be sorrow in conception. There will be sorrow in childbirth. Isaiah says that a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near to the time of her delivery. But the sorrow must take place in the picture of a woman giving birth for the joy to come. There's no skipping the sorrow to get to the joy in childbirth. Most ladies would love to skip those nine months of pregnancy and excruciating labor and just hold their newborns in their arms, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Many of you gals have experienced, you know, the nausea, the morning sickness, you know, that swollen ankles, you know, and the water gain and the pinched sciatic nerve and this, that, and the other, and, you know, and and many of us guys experience that too, you know, um, sympathy eating of all sorts. When Lindsay was pregnant with Russell, a woman at Calvary Corvallis came up to me and said, oh, you're just sympathy eating, aren't you? Look at you gaining all those extra pounds to just be right. I was like, we've actually lost weight in the last week and a half. But in the Lamaze class, I was the one who volunteered to wear the bowling ball in the backpack backwards on my belly, you know, and cruise around like, I get it. I get it. I understand, you know. So many people would love to skip that part, all that pain, all that anxiety, but that's just not how it works. And then when that day comes and the labor day comes and 
And I think actually Jessica Olker skipped that painful part. We used to live together when they had Noah. I uh, lived in Albany, a block away from each other. Lindsay uh, had had Russell and all the pain that she went through with Russell. And then when Jess was having Noah, she came by, dropped Eli off at her house. Her and Johnny went to the hospital. She was like back later on that day, acted like she hadn't even like had any pain whatsoever and was like out mowing the lawn. And it was like she was Nepali or something like that, you know? So some women have that, man, praise the Lord if that's you, right? And, uh, but for the moment, the pain is there and then the child comes and it's just extreme anguish. You know, you're looking on the monitor next to the bed while your wife is, it's like, beep, 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 you know, and it's just like crazy pain, crazy pain. And then once that done, it's, you know, oh my gosh, it's a boy, it's a girl. Oh, you know, it's like. Oh, snuggles, you know, and oh, what, what are you going to name it? I don't know. And then that's another painful process for the next 15 hours. How about Tom? No, I hate Tom. Okay, how about Larry? Oh, Larry, okay. He's that weird cable guy. Okay, and then, but you know, it's just so much, oh, the joy. All right? And so Jesus is like, you guys get that metaphor. You guys get that picture. You guys understand that in just a little bit, you're going to have the sorrow of watching me hang on the cross You're going to watch my lifeless body hang there as it's pinned to a tree and it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. There will be sorrow there as as one of you rises up and pries me off of the cross with a crowbar and lays me in a tomb. That will be a sorrowful period. And for the next two days or so, I'm going to be laying there. That'll be a time of weeping and mourning. But man, when I rise from the dead... And you see my lifeless body have fresh breath in it and the stone is rolled away, in fact, thrown away from the tomb. And I have done what I have been prophesied I would do from the Old Testament through the lips of myself that I would not stay dead, but I was rise from the dead and give resurrection life and power to the entire world. Boy, that little time and that little period of sorrow, it's just going to seem like just a little flash in the pan. You guys ever feel that on Good Friday? On Good Friday, when we come together and, you know, we ask, what's so good about Good Friday? You know, and we just, you know, we kind of just mourn and grieve as we remember the cross. And, and I remember there was a period in our church where we just tried to just crank up the macabre setting in our church during Good Friday. Let's darken everything. Let's turn off the lights. Let's all wear black and just remember the cross. And that, there's a place for that. Sometimes I mean, but then this Good Friday, I was like, okay. I just can't do it anymore because I can't stop thinking about how he's not dead. He rose from the dead. I don't know if you know anybody who's risen from the dead. Just a couple people, you know, nobody. All right. Full on risen from the dead, walking and talking, ascended to the father to live forevermore and life he brings. Life he brings. And so it just causes that little, oh man, even when we try on a good Friday, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. There is so much joy. The sorrow of Jesus' death was necessary because it was only in his death that he could pay the ransom price for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And it's not with the blood of, blood of bulls and goats that just simply kind of covers over our sin temporarily. It was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our great high priest himself, that not just covers over our sin, but once for all takes away our sin. 
And it was that moment of sorrow on the cross, as we remember today through communion, his body bruised, beaten, crushed, and his blood poured out, that moment of sorrow. It's a real time of sorrow, but to the disciples, it became a distant memory the moment Jesus appeared to them on Easter morning or resurrection morning. That joy that comes, like a mother with her newborn child, mother and their newborn children, many women end up having more than one child. Like, what's up with that? Right? They go through the anguish and the pain of that first childbirth. And even, I remember with Titus, Lindsay was pregnant. This was our third child. She was pregnant in the summertime. It was so hot. And we were walking to the park and she's like. And I was like, I will never do that again to this woman. I'll never ever do this again. And then Tatum came along. I mean, but one of these days I'll know how that works. But, you know, for some reason women have more than one child. Why is that? Going through all the anguish and pain. Because that child is worth it all. And it was worth it to Jesus. It was worth it for him to lay his life down as a ransom for our sin. And so joy comes through that. And verse 22 tells us that joy is resistant to every attack. And he says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. I'm going to see you again. They're still not processing what he's talking about. Like within the weekend, they're going to get it. But they still don't get what he's, that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be buried for a couple of days. And then he's going to rise from the dead. The disciples didn't even get that when they saw him. Okay, that's how, that's how they are. Okay. But Jesus is just like, you guys, just letting you know, I'm going to see you again. And when I see you again, your heart is going to rejoice. No one can take the joy from you. Why can no one take our joy away from us? or to those disciples, and then applicable to us as well. Because the world never gave us that joy, so they can't be the ones to take it away. If our joy comes from something that the world brings, then it can be taken away from us. If our joy is in just a relationship that we've made of ourselves, if it's in our career or our education, if our joy comes from these external things, from sex, from sin, from habits, from hobbies, all right? Good things and bad things alike. If those are the things that bring us our joy, then the world can strip those away in a moment. But if our joy comes from the eternal God of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who always was and the one who always will be, then no one can take that joy from us. It's a joy that's apart from circumstances. Martin Luther said, Yet is their profit small. These things shall perish all, but the word of God remaineth. All of those things that you guys, and guys, it takes one to know one. There are so many things that I kind of put my hope in, put my joy in. Just as long as this is going on in my life, things are going to be okay. But Lord, don't you take this. Don't you take her. Don't you take them. Don't you take it. You know how much I love it. Lord, you can have all this. This is mine. My precious. You know. It's going to perish. They're going to perish. 
but the word of the Lord remaineth. Luther had it right. You guys know we ordered a new microphone? It's on its way. No more of this. No more of this. There will always be this. And there will always be this. It's part of our DNA. And so our joy is resistant to every attack. No one can take it from us because no one gave it to us but Jesus. No one can take it from us. Our joy is refreshed in verse 23 through answered prayer. Verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. There's something in the language here, and I read it in a couple different commentaries, and as I was reading, I was like, it's just too much right now. It's just too much. But it has something to do with the difference between asking something and asking for things. And the same word is kind of used in this section. And at the bottom line of it all is whether we're asking something about the Lord or whether we're asking something from the Lord, he is going to be faithful to answer. Okay, that's what he's getting into here. He's going to be faithful to answer and his faithfulness is rooted in that we can now talk to the father directly in Jesus name by the spirit. Boltman wrote the eschatological situation is to have no more questions. Okay, that means eschatological means end times, kind of one of the end goals. One of the end times hopes that we have is that we're going to have no more questions. Like the mysteries are going to be revealed to us as we're in the presence of the Lord. And you guys all know who that is. If you have children, you know, just the questions and the questions and more questions and answer the question with a question and the questions. And, more, and like, that's the end time promise. No more questions. <laughs> it's basically what the Lord is getting at here. And so he gets into that by saying, until now, verse 24, you've asked nothing in my name. These are things that you will want to underline at the end of verse 23. Ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And then in verse 24, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Up to this point, they had not asked the Father for things in Jesus' name. That was a privilege that belonged to the new order that was going to come after Jesus died and rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, the world thinks of a new order. Oh, there's going to be this new order. New one world government, unified religion, unified government, all that kind of stuff, whatever it ends up being, blah, 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 right? But there was a new order that came through the gospel that affects our prayer lives and the answering of prayer. And in that new order, we ask God the Father, In Jesus' name. It's a normal pattern to pray that God gives us in the Bible. Now, sometimes we have these questions like, knowing the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. There's one God. He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. It's confusing. God is, I did this last week too, God the Father is not the Son. 
God the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. The Spirit's not the Son. The Son's not the Father. The Son's not the... And I said that that was an exponent. I was wrong. A math major corrected me. said, that is not exponents. I was like, I don't know what an exponent really is, actually. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> to me, it's three to the third, but I don't know what I'm talking about. So, all right. But what I'm telling you is the heretics couldn't get the Trinity, so they said, uh, well, it's just God putting different masks on. And over here, he's got the Holy Spirit mask on. And over here, that's not the case. That's not biblical. It doesn't even make sense as you look at the different scriptures. We don't need to get into that now except to know that in prayer, we have this privilege now through the gospel that our sins are forgiven. God has made a way to, uh, Jesus has made a way to the Father so we can pray to the Father now. We can ask the Father directly for things, have conversation with the Father, have fellowship with the Father in Jesus' name. This is the normal pattern for prayer in the New Testament. And so sometimes we come to prayer and we're like, do I pray to Jesus right now? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit right now? I don't know who to even pray for and all that, you know? It's like, it's not bad to pray to Jesus, right? It's not bad to pray to, for the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's always going to send you to Jesus as far as testifying of Jesus, okay? Jesus is the mediator to the Father, okay? And so uh, the pattern for prayer in the New Testament is we can pray to the Father. It's kind of primarily praying to the Father, praying to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, okay? Let's say that together. Praying to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. No one's confused here. Congratulations, you guys. When we pray through the Son, we pray in the name of Jesus, okay? So when we're praying and we pray and we close out our prayers, you don't have to do it this way, but a lot of times we do. We pray in the name of Jesus, okay? And when we do that, there's lots wrapped up in the phrase. When we pray in Jesus' name or we say in Jesus' name, we're not saying a magic formula. It's not on par with bibbidi-bobbidi-boo or alakazam or whatever else that song says, you know. Uh, it's not a mantra, okay? It's not the saying or the phrase, it's the understanding of the truth. So when we're praying in Jesus' name, we're praying according to what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. That Jesus has paid the way to the Father. It's through his authority, it's through his payment, it's through his work, it's through the gospel, and so when we pray it, we're praying with hope and trust in what Jesus has done. It's not the formula. It's not the mantra. It's the theological, biblical understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. Matt Carter said, do a mental exercise with me. Think about your recent prayers. Now take out an imaginary sheet of paper and divide it into two columns Above the column on the left, write the word comfort. And above the column on your right, put the word mission. Place your request that you've recently prayed in one of those two columns. Okay, I've been praying for this. That would fall in more into my comfort column. And this one would fall more into the mission of God column or the mission that God's called me to. Kind of do that with your recent prayers. 
And something we see to the promises of Jesus that when we ask, we will receive, we will receive that our joy may be full, is that he is in the business of answering and moving through prayers that are not primarily for our comfort and our luxury, but primarily for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the furthering of his mission to make disciples, followers of Jesus in every nation in this world who then go out and make disciples and make worshipers of Jesus so that they could know Jesus, so that they could know his saving ways for them, so that they could enjoy their creator. That's the mission of God. And so just do that mental exercise or get a little piece of paper and be like, man, I was praying for that Ferrari. Okay, the Ferrari definitely goes in the mission of God category. I mean, who's not going to want to come to church with me in my Ferrari? Okay, the ski centurion boat. Definitely mission of God. Of course, the church needs a water ski ministry. Fill that out over here too, you know. It's like, are our prayers according to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's doing. Are we praying in Jesus' name? F.F. Bruce, loved historian, biblical historian, says, whether it be in the bestowal of the Spirit or in the granting of any other boon, the Father and the Son act as one so that either one of them could be the subject of the verb to grant. When the disciples are encouraged to make their request to the Father in Jesus' name, this is based on their close relationship with Jesus. Their dwelling in him and his dwelling in them. One might think that there's a suggestion of his interceding with the Father on their behalf, but this seems to be excluded. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Did you know that a praying church is a joyful church? We are a praying church. Come first and third Saturdays of the month. Come here into the fireside room and pray with us. Last night, we had a wonderful time of prayer and lifting up our fall here in 2021 and coming back into the building and just all that God's doing this fall. Wonderful time praying together as a church and so much joy in uh, praying for the Box family and just uh, sending them out from our church and saying goodbye to them. And so much joy being a praying church Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. A praying individual is a joyful individual. A praying person is a joyful person. But a lack of prayer brings a lack of power. A lack of prayer brings a lack of joy. Jesus himself said it. You read it. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Look at verse 25. Guys, it's only 11.15. We even had Uncle Rick up here, and it's only 11.15. What do you normally go to at this church? I guess we'll find out. (laughs) My goal's 11.30. Okay, anyways. Verse 25, as if you weren't confused already. Here we go. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. And so there's this interesting verse, verse 25 
The New Living Translation puts it, you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying I'll ask the Father on your behalf. You're going to talk to the Father. You're going to ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf. Okay? Or as the J.B. Phillips translation put it during World War II, a great guy made a translation for high school students. And I use it a lot. And he said, I've been speaking to you in parables, but the time is coming to give up parables and to tell you plainly about the Father. When the time comes, you'll make your request to him in my own name. For I need make no promise to plead to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is we have direct access to the Father. That's kind of exciting for those of you that want to pray. Like you can talk to the Father, the creator of the universe. And Jesus says, talk to him. All right. Jesus, who is also God and also creator, says, I defer to him. There are different roles within the Trinity, within our relationship. And I want you to have access to God, the father. And I'm not even telling you that I got to intercede pray to me and then I'll intercede. So, I mean, this really puts a little damper on the praying to any saint out there. Like, well, I better pray to this saint so that this saint will pray to me. It's like, don't pray to the saint. Jesus, the son of God himself said, go ahead, pray to the father because of what I've done. I died on the cross. I tore down the middle wall of separation between you and God. I, uh, I brought reconciliation when you were at war with God. The war's over. Go ahead. Have a talk with him. Tell him your hearts. Tell him your hopes. Tell him your dreams. Tell him your problems. Ask. Ask. And when you're praying in my name, you're going to be asking for things according to my mission. Go ahead. It was D.A. Carson who said, Jesus wants his followers to understand that the phrase in my name does not mean that they're thereby distanced from God. It does not mean that they are restricted to asking Jesus for things and then he conveys their request to the Father. It does not mean, in Jesus' words, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Far from it. Listen to this. The Father himself loves you and needs no prompting from the Son. After all, it was the love of the Father for the world that initiated the mission of the Son of God. And so I love that because in that set of verses 25 through 27, when he says, now you can pray to the Father, you, don't need, you can pray in my name, you don't, I'm not the one that has to intercede for you. And why would I? Because the Father loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to have that relationship. And so go ahead. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't talk to the Father for us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest who always lives to pray for us. Not just pray for us, he always lives to make intercession for us. He's like a ready help in time of need. And he knows when we're going through tough stuff, and he goes and he talks with the Father about us. And he intercedes on our behalf. Anybody excited about that? Anyone want to just go pray? I just want to go pray. Just go spend some time with the Father in Jesus' name by the Spirit. This is awesome. Verse 28. We're just going through verse 33, so calm down. Okay. And we're reading through verse 32 here, so it's really coming to a close. Don't worry. And Uncle Rick is thinking, is this really my nephew? Oh, my goodness. 
I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. So kind of the whole thing so far has been like the disciples not really understanding what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus just a couple verses ago saying, I know that you don't really understand what I'm saying because I've kind of been speaking to you in parables about this stuff. Okay, but but now I'm going to start speaking to you plainly. The whole reason that you can pray to the Father through me, the Father loves you. uh, You know, you can just pray right to the Father. And then the disciples are like, now we get it. Now you're not even talking in figurative speech. Jesus is going to be like, you still don't get it. (laughs) It's classic discipleship, guys, by the way. We've talked about this. Just so you know, when you come to a home group and then you sign up for a core group here at our church and you're in discipleship, we're, we're learning about the word of God and we're being taught by people that are studying the word. And sometimes that's what it's like in our discipleship groups. A discipleship mentor asks a question about the scripture and we're like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, I love you, but no. Okay, let's look at what the Bible has to say about what you just said. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. But the disciples, it's just part of discipleship. Learning from our mentors. Learning from the people God's put in our life to help us follow him. And so his disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and you use no figure of speech. Verse 30, Now we know that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Because in just a couple minutes, they're going to they're gonna abandon him. Just in a few, in a couple hours, they're going to abandon him. Indeed, my hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. You might underline that if you've got a pen. In me. And it has connotations to John 15 in the same talk about abiding in Jesus. When we are abiding in Jesus, he is the vine, we are the branches. When we are tapped into him, connected to him, abiding and dwelling with him, some fruit of that is that we will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so part of this section is just that we would have joy in the midst of sorrow. We would have comfort no matter what we're going through. Many of us in this room can attest to that, that no matter the painful circumstances that we've been through, Jesus has never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's always been faithful to give us more of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, to come alongside of us and to help us. He's faithful to point us to prayer. And to be those that have communion directly with the Father. In the world, you'll have tribulation, anguish, pain, sorrow. Is that anybody's um, experience in the world out there? Go out those doors. Just wait. You can hear the sirens out there. You hear the broken glass and the bottles and the screaming and the barking dogs. And right outside those doors, it's waiting for you. (laughs) Tribulation out there. That's what the world has to offer. That's bad news, by the way. But the good news is we can have great cheer, great hope, rejoicing of heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He's victorious. He's the conqueror. He knows the end from the beginning and he he lets us in on it. 
He lets us in on that he's going to win. He lets us in on that he's coming back. He lets us in on that suffering doesn't have the final word. Death doesn't have the final word. Oh, hell, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It's gone. Thinking of that with my aunt and my cousin dying this week. We have a, a beloved missionary from our church in the hospital with COVID right now. And she just sent out a Facebook message last night. Pray for me. I'm in anguish. I'm in so much pain. I've got it. And I just said, is there any way I can get in to pray with you? And she said, no, they're not letting anyone in. But don't worry. I have great hope in Jesus. And I sent her this verse and I said, I'm thinking of John 16, 33 right now for you. In this life, we will have COVID-19. Bad stuff. In this life, we will have governors we don't like and can't recall. Or governors that we do like. We'll have that too sometimes. You know, in this life, and we just, oh, it starts like, doesn't it? Just like spend some time just, I think I'm just going to check out the news today. Oh, that's not, oh, that's not very good. Ooh, that, what year is this? 1938? You know, and it's just like, it builds and it builds. And then you get the news like, you've got to get this to keep your job here. Well, I don't want to get that to keep my, oh, you know, and the enemy just wants to cram that into you and just get you distracted. Why don't you just get in anguish of soul right now about this, this, and this? And I totally understand because I, uh, you know, I like a good podcast. Yeah, tell me, bring it. Oh yeah, you're totally right. And any other podcast is wrong. Joe Rogan, I love you. You know, just kidding. It's got a couple of good ones. Anyways. Like, oh, and we just completely close John 16, 33, set it off to the side and forget that none of those guys have the hope. John 16, 33 brings the hope in this life. You're going to have, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to get the news about cancer. You will. You're going to lose a sister to COVID. You're going to lose your home when the economy crashes. These things happen. Be of good cheer in the midst of it. What kind of hope is this? Jesus says, be a cheerleader. Standing outside of the burning rubble of your home. And people like mental condition right over there. And you're like, no, genuine hope condition. He's coming back, you guys. He's going to set up his throne. He's going to rule and reign from the throne of David on this earth. And we're going to be there for it. If you love Jesus. So let's love Jesus, huh? Worship team, come on up. It looks like we only have a drummer for this last song. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. Oh, piano at least too. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I was nervous, Josh. I didn't think it would be good. Will you stand with me? There are some people that have had some hard stuff happen to them. There are books written on the matter. People's biographies, I find them so interesting. There are people who have just, I just can't even imagine. There's times that I think that my life kind of, you know, there's things that it's like, oh yeah, 
could probably make a little tear come to your eye with some of the things I've experienced. Some of the things that you guys have gone through that I would not want your life for all the tea in China. Then again, I'm not a tea fan, so there's that. But what we go through, you guys, it's just got nothing. And Paul the Apostle says, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. When you take the weight of heaven and the weight of the glory of Christ and all that he's done, you guys, there's more hope. The blessings of heaven are for us today. And then you take like, boy, I got a bad phone call this week. (laughs) All right. Glory in Jesus today. Glory in Jesus. And maybe for you today, you came to Calvary and you'd never hoped in Jesus before. You'd hoped in all kinds of other stuff. And you're realizing all that other stuff, that joy from that is going to go away at some point if it's not gone already. And today at your first time at Calvary, you've heard that there is hope in Jesus Christ. He is not dead. He is risen. And he loved you enough to die on the cross for you. And he loved you enough to not stay dead for you. He rose from the dead. He's risen today. He's alive. He's coming back. And right now, like a little kid that just doesn't even know what he's doing, you can just be like, I believe that. Lord, I believe that. And he will come into your heart and he will change your life and move in you. If you'll trust in him. If you'll believe in him. So let's believe in him today. I encourage you to believe in him for the first time today. And I encourage you to believe in him for the thousandth time today. Because that's the Christian life. Continued trust in Jesus. Amen. All right. Adam, I'm so glad you showed up. We were almost going to have him do a drum solo. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Adam. Lead us, brother. With the elders up here, we're going to be available for prayer for you. If just this week has been a week of hopelessness or this month or this year has been a month of hopelessness or you just have gone through travesty and tragedy and your heart is hurting and aching and you're confused and you just seem like God's been speaking in figurative language and you don't even know what's going on. And just today is a day of hope for you. And the Lord wants to, I just feel like you're kind of, it's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for now we see as in a mirror dimly. And I, you know, maybe if you've gotten out of the shower and you know that there's fog on the window and you can't see it, and just the Lord, you just feel like you just need the Lord to come and just wipe that fog away so that you can see Him and see hope in the midst of the trials and the pain. And we just want to be here for you today during this song that if you've gone through time and you just need prayer uh, by the leadership of the church, Um, There's going to be a couple of us up front here, and during this song, you can come up, and uh, maybe too, we could close uh, just with a chorus from one of your previous songs too, as we're just waiting to pray. So come forward during this time for prayer, if that's you, and maybe today would be the first time you receive prayer for the hope of Jesus, and we'd love to pray that for you as well. So come on up during this song, if that's you.